who are the top five coaches in college football? Went to my Twitter, asked y'all, got almost 100 responses from you guys. We're going to give you our top five today, live in living color on the show. Welcome into the hard count. It is July 11th, 2023, the last one in history, so we're going to make it a freaking great one. We're glad to have you here live every, Tuesday, every Thursday at this exact same time. We got a lot to jump into now. Pat Fitzgerald, as of a few hours ago, last night, the news broke, Northwestern says thank you but no thank you he is fired it's a key word there he is fired he did not resign he is fired from being the head coach at Northwestern so what does this mean what do you make of this we're going to jump into that one here at the top of the show going to give you my thoughts got a lot to unpack with that one so we'll do that in just a second here like I said top five coaches in college football there was a large variance in terms of the names that we had on that list I saw I saw everything from Marcus Freeman I saw Joey McGuire on there, our guy Joey McGuire. saw Matt Rule on there. saw Josh Heupel on there. I'll tell you my top five. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the guys that maybe got left out that have a very strong case to be in that top five. But the key word with that segment is top five college football coaches right now. It's not top five college football coaches of all time, not top five college football coaches of all time that are still coaching. Top five college football coaches in the game right now today. All right, so we'll break that one down for you. Also... The Pulse the Program keeps on rolling. We're talking about USC today, the Trojans. High expectations in LA. What do we make of what they're going to be in 2023? What's the pulse down there? I guess rather out there, up there on the West Coast in Los Angeles. We'll break that one down. Also, got to talk a little bit about the future of the offensive schemes in college football because I think we're trending in a certain direction where there will be a formula, more or less, maybe formulas, two formulas, that you can run with to win a national title. I think the path's becoming more and more clear for the ways that you can get that done. We're so glad to have you here. Whether you're on podcasts, whether you're watching live on YouTube, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, however you listen or however you watch this program, we appreciate you. You got a lot going on. We're less than 50 days away from the beautiful sport that we love being back. We talk about it here every single day, but for the next hour or so, whatever you got going on, put it to the side. We're just talking ball right now. Thank you for being here. All right, let's jump right into it here. Like I said at the top of the show, Pat Fitzgerald has been fired as the head coach at Northwestern. And unless you have been living under a rock, you understand why this happened. There was a piece published by the student paper at Northwestern that essentially just exposed all of the horrible details that went into the hazing that was allegedly going on within that locker room. Okay, so let's rewind the tape a little bit. I see the headline come out that Pat Fitzgerald has been suspended for two weeks without pay as the head coach at Northwestern for hazing. And you read that headline, and my first thought was like, uh, okay, this whole thing kind of feels just a, a little bit lackluster, kind of feels like a whatever story. Like, I see he's got two weeks suspension. I'm like, how bad could it really be? We all watch hard knocks. We see the rookies sing their song, or maybe you carry pads, like those kind of traditional things that aren't harmful in any way. They're kind of just fun. And in a lot of ways are kind of a part of just, you know, being new to a football team. So that was the first thought was, uh, I don't know what went into that. Two weeks can't be that bad. Then the, the report comes out. Then the piece comes out from the student newspaper and just exposed details that were heinous, degrading, inhumane, and your jaw just drops to the floor. If you want to find those details, you can go find them on the student paper piece. I'm not going to unpack them right now. But it was just horrifying and shocking, to say the absolute least. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
Pat Fitzgerald maintained that he did not know about what was going on in that locker room. Still maintains that. And I understand that there is some conversation around the money that he could get from Northwestern and, and all that. Like, that's a whole other conversation. Looking at this situation, saying I didn't know is not the correct answer. It's not good enough. Not good enough for me. Wasn't good enough for Northwestern. Shouldn't be good enough for anybody in that locker room. Promise you it's not good enough for Pat Fitzgerald. Because when you're the head football coach, you are responsible for everything within that operation. Nutrition, academics, strength and conditioning, what you do on Saturdays, that locker room, you're responsible for all of it. And saying, I didn't know, that is nowhere near good enough. That nowhere near excuses you from your responsibilities of having to take care of what's supposed to go on in that locker room. Think about it this way. You're a CEO. There's a scandal in accounting. I didn't know. Hey, I had no idea about that. Well, guess what? You're still in charge. You're still on the hook for that. If you didn't know, you were supposed to know. We pay you millions of dollars for you to know what's going on within your locker room. And so for this to go on under his watch, I don't have any insight as to Pat Fitzgerald personally, but just the, the issue here, I don't know, is not good enough. Never was good enough, never will be good enough in this situation. I think Northwestern did the right thing. And that's not to say, again, I never met Pat Fitzgerald personally, but with the details that came out, for you to oversee this operation, I don't know isn't the correct answer. It doesn't cut it for me. And as soon as these details came out, as soon as everything came out about what happened in those locker rooms, it was over. Like they fired him last night, but it was over as soon as those details came out. Because what was Northwestern going to do? Going to trot him out there for Big Ten media days here on July 26th? Going to have him go sit down and answer questions? I promise you this, there would not have been one football question asked. It would have just been a bloodbath. So that was one option. Could have done that. Let's say you see that through. You say, hey, we're going to stick with Pat Fitzgerald. We're going to let him keep coaching. Do you think any kid is committing to Northwestern after hearing about what is allegedly happening to freshmen? Take it a step further. Do you think any parent in their right mind is allowing their kid to go play for Pat Fitzgerald after figuring out what happened or hearing about what happened within that locker room? There is no shot. And the operation as a whole was already in a tough spot. They were already 0-11 on U.S. soil last year. And Pat Fitzgerald's had some good years at Northwestern, but last year was not one of them. They were 1-11 on the season. Okay, so the program was already in a bad spot, already in a downtrend. You're telling me that's where they're at. And then recruiting, again, reiterating what I just said, probably wasn't going to be in a great place going forward. It would have drawn this whole thing out, and they would have eventually, in my opinion, had to fire him based on performance. So for Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald, just the whole thing is just an extremely sad situation. Extremely sad situation. What's next for Northwestern? They're going to hire an interim, I would imagine, if you're watching this after we're live or hearing this after we're live via podcast. They may have already named interim head coach. But it's going to be a long road back. Because the reality is that Northwestern... They don't have the brand or the resources to recover and hit the reset from a situation like this, I believe, as quickly as maybe other schools would have. Like we saw the whole horrific situation that happened with Penn State. And because of their branding, because of their resources, because of their 
external circumstances around that operation, they were able to sort of, you know, hit the reset button a little bit quicker. For Northwestern now, it's going to be it's going to be a long road back. They got to hire somebody who is going to re-energize that whole situation, and not to overuse the word reset button, but they're going to really have to hit that in an emphatic way and find a way to pump some new life, some new values, and create a new system in place at Northwestern. So the whole thing is absolutely tragic. You feel bad for the Northwestern community, but this whole thing was over, in my opinion, as soon as those details came out about what happened in those locker rooms. So again, Pat Fitzgerald is no longer the head coach at Northwestern. Extremely sad situation. It's one of those things, too, where I was thinking about it, because I think about the show quite a bit. I'm laying in bed one night, and I'm like, man, do we even do we even talk about the Pat Fitzgerald situation? This was a couple nights ago, so it wasn't after he got fired. As soon as he got fired, I was like, yeah, we're talking about it. But it's, it's such a negative story on such a beautiful game. And we like to, on this show, highlight the things that are fun and joyful and what make this game so incredible. And that right there was not a story that does any of those things, but even so, felt like we needed to un- address it and uh, unpack it a little bit as a, as a community here. All right, well, we'll keep on rolling here. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. If you could like that video for us, thumbs up button under the picture. Y'all know the deal. Let's get to over 100 likes. We'll have a good time. If everyone likes the video that's watching right now, we'll be over 100 likes already. So thank you in advance for that. And we'll keep on rolling here. All right, I took to Twitter and I asked y'all, who are the top five coaches in college football? Important caveat here to today, Junior. Not all time. Not that are coaching and have done good things the last 10 years. I'm talking about today. There's a, a criteria that I took into account personally. Not an exhaustive list, but I placed a pretty high emphasis on these couple of things. The first is obvious. Winning. Doing your job. Doing what you were hired to do as a head coach. Win football games. Other part of this, program building. A couple of guys on this list now that didn't just inherit perfect situations, but found a way to get their teams to getting that first criteria box checked, which is winning football games. Also recruiting. Had some interactions on Twitter. And it was interesting to see how y'all built your lists. There were some of you that put other head coaches higher on the list over some of these coaches I have on my list because your feeling was that they just have better players. Well, for me, I think being a head coach in college football, recruiting is a part of your job description. And so for me, recruiting, I factored in to my list. Now, I appreciate all y'all that responded. We had almost 100 responses on that tweet. So thank you so much for that. A lot of great lists. And the interaction here, hearing from y'all is what makes this so special, makes us a community. So thank you for that. All right, without further ado, let's go five all the way up to number one here. And we'll start with the man in Columbus, Ohio. Ryan Day, for me, is the fifth best college football coach in the game today. And now... A lot of people that disagree with this are going to go right to the Jim Harbaugh quote about being born on third base and all that. And I understand that. I don't think that that's totally irrational. But for Ryan Day, he took over a plane that Urban Meyer gave him, the Ohio State football team, that was at a cruising altitude. And I'll say this, when you inherit a plane at cruising altitude, you still can't crash. You still can't steer that thing into a mountain. And Ryan Day in no way, shape, or form has done that. Do not let the losses he's had to guys that are ahead of him on this list 
spoiler take away from what he's been able to do since 2020 they've only recruited top five classes he has gone 29 and 5 the last three years he's had two college football playoff appearances the last three years one national title appearance he's won 88 percent of his games on the career ryan day for me absolutely a top five coach today in the game and he's only been a head coach for a short period of time like he's learning on the job here he's been a head coach here for like four or five years a lot of coaches typically get the group of five job eventually work your way up maybe you're, you're a coordinator at a, at a power five school like ryan day was at ohio state but there was no head coach experience for ryan day prior to the ohio state job so for ryan day for me the resume and what he's done speaks volumes and the michigan games that he's lost to me those don't disqualify him from being a top five head coach all right now very very excited to talk to y'all about this here this show is brought to you by the good people over at bird dogs and listen i'm wearing some bird dogs right now, i'm about to show y'all and here's the deal with these they fit better than regular shorts like a lot of times you get that stiff cot material and and you wear it and it's just like it's it's kind of constricting you can't really move around in it i'm wearing these things right here these right here dude it's like it's like almost 100 degrees in nashville i'm i'm not wearing cotton shorts look at these i, I can move in these i'm, I'm like I can, I'm agile. Look at that. Bird dogs. Also, here's the thing. You look good in bird dogs, man. That's the deal. I'm, I'm married. I'm a married man. My wife would not let me out of the house with some shorts that look bad. Bird dogs checks that box emphatically. Also, uh, moisture wicking. They are athletic feeling. Going back to that, like not constricting fabric, Bird Dogs taking care of you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. If you order from Bird Dogs and use promo code JD, that's linked in the description to this video, to this live show, get yourself a little Yeti-like tumbler, a little Bird Dogs logo on it. Phenomenal. They do incredible work. You will not be sorry. You won't take your Bird Dogs off. Promise. So that's Bird Dogs. They've done a phenomenal job for us. And again, they are responsible for what we're wearing right now. I think they should be responsible for what you got on too. All right. So big shout out to Bird Dogs there. Moving right along here in the countdown. Brian Kelly is the number four coach for me in college football today. And we might get some pushback on this, but this is where I go to. For LSU, going into the 2022 season, the over-under win total on them was seven wins they had won six games the year before and so brian kelly walks in and what do they do they win 10 games and they win the sec west he's 21 in five his last two seasons that includes the last season he just had where he won 10 games inheriting a six win team he beat nick saban his first year on the job now he also has a top five class from the 2023 cycle that he's got on campus now a lot of people say, well, Brian Kelly doesn't want to recruit. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do that. Doesn't look like it to me. Again, top five class. I'd keep an eye on the 2024 cycle. Think they'll make some moves. I'd be surprised if they're not somewhere in the top 10 come National Signing Day. That's my own personal feel on it. Just keep an eye on LSU. And here's the thing with Brian Kelly. Coming from Notre Dame, he was pretty clear about one of the reasons why he left Notre Dame. For him, a lot of it had to do with resources. And being able to recruit at the level he wanted to recruit at and be able to just have everything he needed to compete for national titles. 
So it's one thing now to say that, to say you need something, and then to eventually get what you say you need to get what you, I don't want to say excuses, get, get what your excuse was, to get what you say you need, and then to immediately produce results in the best conference in America. I think LSU is set for a long time with Brian Kelly. That's how I feel about it. Emphatically believe he's a top five coach in the sport. His resume speaks for itself, even past this most recent sample size, but he's definitely, for me, a top five coach in the game today. Now, at number three, we got Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Look at what Jim Harbaugh's done just the last two seasons. Just look at this. Two Big Ten titles, two college football playoff appearances. Four different coordinators, give or take. Two different quarterbacks. Lost a lot to the NFL draft from 2021 to 2022. The common denominator in Michigan's success is Jim Harbaugh. And you look at what he's done, he's done it his way. There's been a lot made about, well, you can't play the style of, of football that Jim Harbaugh wants to play. You got to be a little more spread out. You got to be able to be a little bit more dynamic. Jim Harbaugh has done it his way. He's bet on his philosophy and he has won. And I think for this coming season, I don't know if Michigan is in the position they're in if you don't have Jim Harbaugh as your head coach, if he hasn't built to what he's built to at Michigan. So a lot of excitement in, in Ann Arbor for good reason. But Jim Harbaugh, for me, without question, a top five head coach in the game right now. He's at number three for us again. But we'll, we'll keep an eye on where he's at this time next year, depending on what Michigan does in 2023. So that's Jim Harbaugh for us. Now at number two, and this is probably, these top two really, you, you, you could probably swap if you wanted to. But this is how I feel about it. At number two, I have Nick Saban. And before you throw anything at the television, before you turn off this podcast, Nick Saban is without a doubt, without question, the greatest of all time. Like Nick Saban has got GOAT status. No question about it. Seven national championships, been to a natty two of the last three years. He won one in 2020. He's two plays away a season ago from being undefeated. Haters will yell from the back row and say, well, he's also two plays away from being eight and four. I hear you. I don't care. Two plays away from being undefeated. And he routinely has had different coordinators in and out of Tuscaloosa. And it's not because Nick Saban wants him out every single year. I don't think that's always the case. I think a lot of it is people understand, okay, go coach for Nick Saban. Have a good time doing that. Probably have a nice chance to get you some jewelry. And then... Go take a head coaching job in another Power 5 conference or maybe have a chance to go be an NFL coach. Like That's the system he has in place. And consistently, the process and the way Nick Saban does things yields tremendous results. And they continue to do what they do at Alabama. Now, recruiting, they have nothing but top two classes right now on campus. And when they use the transfer portal, they usually hit home runs with who they acquire. Jameer Gibbs being one of those pieces. If you have him at number one on your list, I have no issue. He would be number one if not for the run that George has been on lately. And so that kind of brings us to our next coach, the, the coach that's the best in college football right now for my money. That's Kirby Smart. Here's the deal with Kirby Smart. Trophies don't play favorites. Never have, never will. The last two seasons, Kirby Smart, 29-1, and one, two national champions. Uh... They lost their defensive coordinator going into 2022. They lost 15 NFL draft picks from that 2021 team. Some pretty 
key pieces I, I, would, I would imagine from a national title team trying to run it back the second year. Also, a lot of people on the outside looking in, myself included, questioning who you got at quarterback, a former walk-on, Stetson Bennett. Yeah, they, they, they won it that first year, but I don't know, man. Like, that defense really carried them. New cast of characters, same quarterback that a lot of people didn't believe in. A lot of people told Kirby, told Kirby Smart, not the right guy playing quarterback. New DC, 15-0. Run that back. SEC title, national title. Kirby Smart's on top of the game right now. I don't know how else you slice it. I think Kirby Smart is the best coach right now in college football, and the record indicates as much. Should be noted, on his way to winning one of those national titles, he beat Nick Saban. Beat Nick Saban in the national title game in 2021. When it comes to recruiting, it's against his moral compass to recruit outside the top three, or so it would seem currently the top class of 2024. Kirby Smart has got the game in a squeeze. I don't know how else to put it. So for us, the top five is as follows when it comes to the current coaches in college football. Number five, I got Ryan Day. Number four, I got Brian Kelly at LSU. Both those operations, I believe, are set up for success for years to come. Number three, we got Jim Harbaugh. They expect big things in 2023. They expect a national championship. Jim Harbaugh, a big reason why. He's been the common denominator in their success in their success the last couple of seasons. Number two, we got Nick Saban. Number one, we got Kirby Smart. Now, there's two names that kept coming up when it came to guys that should be in this top five. And if you have them in your top five, I don't fault you one bit. One of them is Lincoln Riley. The other, the other is Dabo Sweeney. And I want to address both those right now. I'll start with Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney, if you were to take a sample size of the last 10 years, I think is absolutely one of the best college football coaches today. My issue is these last two seasons, we've seen a slight downtrend from Clemson. Now, a slight downtrend at Clemson is a lot of places' best season of all time. I want to make that clear. But even so, last two years, multiple losses. For Dabo Sweeney, my question is, is he evolving with the game? Now, I have no question about Dabo Sweeney as a coach and the way he's built his program and what he's done at Clemson is nothing short of sensational. But I don't know if the evolution of the sport and what these other five coaches have done is enough for me to put him into that top five mix. Definitely in the top 10, probably in that top six, top seven, but Dabo Sweeney for me, just outside the top five. Now, Lincoln Riley, if you are shouting on a table for Lincoln Riley to be in this top five, I do not blame you. I think you have a very valid case. And I'm not even worried about the college football playoff record. Like, you made the college football playoff. I'm not going to dock you for making the college football playoff and run into LSU. Like, it is what it is, man. It happens. They got Joe Burrow. But for, for Lincoln Riley, here's my greatest issue with why I couldn't put him in the top five, for me personally. Lincoln Riley, his team's, have consistently had that same weak point, and that's defense. Defensively, Lincoln Riley has had a blind spot. And I think as the head coach, you're responsible for the entire organization. You're responsible for every part of the operation. That includes the defensive side. Lincoln Riley, an offensive coach, an offensive mastermind, that's what he does. But he's not an OC. He's not just responsible for calling plays. He's responsible for the entire team at USC. And so for the defense to continue to be lackluster at USC and during his days at Oklahoma, I pin that on Lincoln Riley. Heck, I'll say this too. I think Lincoln Riley pins it on himself as well. I think he understands they have to improve. That's why they did what they did through the transfer portal. But for me, Lincoln Riley, definitely one of the best coaches in the game today. Is he top five? On my list, I have him just outside that territory.
So, those are our top five. Continue to get me uh, to get at me on Twitter and let me know. Continue to get in the comment section and let me know. Get in the live chat and let me know. Want to hear from y'all. Also, get in the live chat and get after us because in just a little bit, We'll be having our You Join the Party segment. We want to hear from y'all. Nick Break, the keeper of the queue, will jump here on camera, and we will unpack some of y'all's takes, concerns, questions, feelings. We'll do it all. Make sure you get in there with us, and we will chop it up. All right. I want to move on to this segment here and talk about the future of offensive football and college football. And whether you're a fan of a Conference USA team, an SEC team, Pac-12, Big Ten, whatever it is, this pertains to your team. Because we're at an interesting point right now in college football. History is a great teacher. History is also cyclical. And right now we're at a crossroads in college football where the one school of thought with being extremely physical on the offensive and defensive line and playing trench warfare, that for a short period of time became a little bit less in the center stage of what teams had to do a big deal was spreading it out and even Nick Saban kind of went to okay I, I got to be able to spread it out more into why they hired Lane Kiffin like it, it was we got to score 40 right that was the thought now we're starting to see teams like Georgia teams like Michigan have a lot of success playing that quote-unquote old school kind of football now they're balanced don't get it twisted but they make an emphasis on running the football with two tight ends and making you say uncle. So we're trending back towards that. That's one school of thought here. The other school of thought is this spread offense where we're going to spread you out. We're going to go real fast. We're going to throw it all around the yard. Try and catch us. And the reason why I want to talk about this is I think in order to win a national title, you have to be in one of these two camps. And I don't want to define it so simply as you have to play a certain style of offense or a certain scheme of offense and put, a, and put a label to it. But I will say these two formulas offensively, playing physical in the trenches or being in the spread offense category, you have to be in one of those two camps to win a national title. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following here on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Pakel. Stay with everything we got going on here. It's almost college football season now. Want you a part of this. Want you here with us now. Buckle up, strap it in, all that in a bag of chips. Make sure you're locked into the On3 YouTube channel. Thank you so much for that. Really quickly, if you're watching live, if you could like that video, thumbs up button under the picture you're looking at, we'll be over 100, and that'd be phenomenal for both of us. Have our goal of over 100 likes like that. So thank you in advance for that. Okay, so as I was saying, let's recap it. Two schools of thought. One, physical trench warfare two tight ends we're running the football down your throat nothing you can do about it one thought second thought spread them out go fast we're throwing the ball all around the yard think like the art briles baylor teams that would line up receivers all the way out of the tick marks almost on the sideline josh heupel does it right now jeff levy does it at oklahoma those are the two schools of thought so why is this happening why are we seeing a trend towards these two camps i think you start with the physical style of football that trench warfare we're talking about that is coming back into play here because of where personnel is, is at in college football. Let's rewind the tape. College football playoff. I believe it's the first year it's ever been in place. You got Ohio State. You got Bama. Bama, right? The big bully on the block. Kirby Smart, I believe, is still the D.C. And they are in a position to go make a run at this thing. Go win a national title. Well, you got Ohio State on the other side of the things. And they are 
doing a lot of motions. They are spreading it out. They're going real fast, and they are running circles around Alabama. I believe that was the Ezekiel Elliott team. And the reason why that worked was because the personnel of Ohio State, and Kirby Smart's breaking it down at a, uh, I believe it was a clinic where he had other high school coaches listening to him. And he talked about it. He's like, hey, our personnel was not up to par to where it needed to be to defend the fast teams like Ohio State. Because here's how it used to be. Big used to equal really strong, could fill a gap, but big used to equal slow. We're at a point now in college football where that's not the case. That's no longer the case. Defensive ends now, if you watch the NFL combine, they're running like four threes, four fours. It's frightening. But they've kind of, the, the personnel has now come back around to be able to defend those really fast, dynamic offenses. But with where Alabama was at, when they had Ohio State running all around them and they had the personnel they had, they're like, well, shoot, if teams are going to score 40, we got the personnel we got defensively. We got to be able offensively match them. So that's why you saw the spread kind of come back into vogue and be a thing that a lot of teams were doing. Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin, says we got to be able to throw the ball around the yard a little bit more here. We got to be able to match these teams in a track meet. And so that was how it was for a minute. But as these personnels defensively come back around and be able to defend a little bit more honestly because of the speed they have, they're able to go back to how they want to play offense. Nick Saban's like, okay, we now have a defense that can match up with that spread offense that gives us trouble historically. That's not going to be as much an issue. We don't have to score 40 or 50 a game. We don't have to score 60 a game. Okay, let's go back to ground control. Let's go back to running it down people's throats. Let's still be balanced. Y'all know how I feel. I think 40 a game is probably where you need to live to win a national title, but it's not going to be a track meet like it used to be quite as frequently. Like think about that LSU-Alabama team, or LSU-Alabama game in 2019. That was right smack dab in the middle of we're all going to go fast. We're all going to do track meet style football. That's what we got to do. It's not like that anymore. It's circling back to we're going to run two tight ends. We're going to run 34 smash, and you got to deal with it. Reason why we can do that, because we're not worried about keeping pace with your offense, because we've got personnel defensively now. We've recruited big, fast defensive linemen, big, fast linebackers, big, fast DBs, to where we can kind of put the cap on that a little bit better. That's why it's trending back towards that. So that's one school of thought. You're saying, okay, JD, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Why would I go play the, the spread approach? Why would I go spread them out, wing it, wing it around the yard? Why would I go back to that style? if I can play this style. Well, here, well here's the thing. Uh, schools that do that typically have really developed exceptionally well, which is Michigan. The majority of the time, though, those schools that run that approach offensively, they've recruited somewhere in the top five. They have the personnel to be able to do that. So teams that are evolving in the spread, that's where I want to talk about this next conversation, is kind of the equalizer. Because if they have the defensive trenches and the offensive side of the ball, we got to figure something else out. What are you doing? We're just looking for matchups. We can't beat you at your game. We're going to spread it out. We're going to get it to our really good receiver. We're going to have him win one-on-one, and that's how we're going to live. I'm oversimplifying this for the sake of this conversation, but you hear the general gist of what I'm getting to. You find edges. You find your one matchup you can get. You exploit that to a T, and you keep them honest with running the football, but that is kind of how you get down. That is your thought process. And the reason why you do that is because you don't have the five-star defensive front to complement what you have offensively. 
hey, if we want to win this game, odds are we're going to have to win a track meet. That's how we're going to get down. And that's the way that you're seeing a lot of these teams that recruit somewhere in the you know top 15, top 20. They're starting to trend that way. That's going to be their edge, their equalizer. Like that Baylor team, I keep going back to it because I was in Waco for a period of time. The teams that were able to line it up and, and go real fast, like that 20, I guess, 13 Baylor team, they didn't have the best recruits in the country. They weren't like just imposing on the offensive and defensive line. Now, they had some good players now, a lot of players that went and played in the NFL, but their, their edge was the scheme. The edge was, we're going to go fast, get you off your game, we're going to score a lot of points. That's how we're going to win. And so going back to the question, why does this matter for my team? I think there's there's really the writing on the wall for me for how to win a national title. One, you got to do one of these two things, right? You have to recruit to the level to play physical, or you have to scheme to the level to where you can win with the spread game. The way that you'll be able to do that is who's ever on the next cutting edge of the next evolution of this. Like the next evolution of being able to, to play that smash mouth game is being balanced, it looks like. Having a tight end that can line up and put his hand in the dirt or flex that as, as a slot. That's why we're seeing Georgia absolutely crush it in this style of football. Next evolution for the spread game, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I would imagine it'll look like being able to recruit a variance of skill position at the wide receiver. Whether it's having a big boy that can go run on the outside for you and go win that jump ball having someone speedy in the slot. Like those are things that we see now, but I think that next evolution will be very, very curious. And whoever gets on the next edge of that evolution will be set up for success. Look at the teams that were in the college football playoff. Michigan, Georgia. Smash mouth teams, right? Playing in the trenches. Ohio State, TCU. Two teams that did really effectively playing on the outside, relying on their quarterback, and doing a lot of good things downfield. Now they still ran the football. I'm not saying they didn't run to set up some of these things. But playing pace and space kind of style is why they were as successful as they were. Those two thoughts, to me, are how you will win a national title. I don't think there's a lot of variance right now, in my mind, to get there outside of those two thoughts. So, to me, that's the future of offense in college football. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of, a lot more copycat as we get on here in the future. Talked to Kirk Herbstreet, actually, when we had him down here in Nashville. And he echoed the same sentiment. He's like, it's a copycat league right now. And we're going to see teams go more and more towards the Bryles, Lebby, Heupel, that kind of formula. So I'm excited to see it. And if you want your team to win a national title, I think that's what they need to do. All right. Rolling right along here. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. If you could just like that video for us, we'll be over 100 likes. Thank you so much. Also, if you could subscribe, you won't miss a minute of what we got going on. It'll be a real good deal. We're less than 50 days away. I say it every single time. Because this game is about to be back, and there is no more time for us to be apart. Like vacations, out of the way. Fall weddings, we love them. This is going to keep you locked in throughout all those fall wedding obligations. Throughout your fall obligations you got. Okay, we'll keep you locked in here. Rolling right along here, though. Let's talk about the pulse down in Los Angeles, California. I say down in Los Angeles, California. Out there on the West Coast, up there in Los Angeles, California, the USC Trojans. Let's take a pulse of the program out there. And for those of y'all that are new, I promise you the thumbnail is not misspelled. There's a difference between a program and a program. We say program on here because it is a community here of college football crazy individuals 365 days a year. But the USC program, in my opinion, is in a really interesting spot. And the way we take a pulse here, 
we try to do two things. One, take a pulse of the fan base and get a feel for the attitude in Los Angeles, an attitude of what that fan base is feeling towards USC. We also try and get a pulse, or as best we can tell, of what's going on internally at USC. So without further ado, the pulse of the program at USC, within that fan base at least, is that the time is now. The time is now at USC. Because for however long we've talked about it with Lincoln Riley, the question has always been, offense is really good. Can the defense hold up there into the deal to win a national title? And for USC this coming season, you have a generational talent in Caleb Williams. So the question remains again, can they have a defense to match what Caleb Williams brings offensively? Yes, that's always been the question. That's always been the question. And some people may say, well, J.D., Lincoln Riley has always had good quarterbacks. He's got three Heisman Trophy winners. Jalen Hurts is doing wonders in the NFL, did wonders when he was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Like, they're going to be okay. Yes, I believe they're going to be okay. That's not the question. The question isn't, will they be okay? The question is, do you have someone as good as Caleb Williams behind him? It's a very big question. Those are enormous-sized shoes to have to fill. Heisman-sized shoes to have to fill. I love Malachi Nelson. I think he's going to be phenomenal for you. I'm not saying he won't be what Caleb Williams is. I'm just saying that's an enormous question to have to answer. And he's not coming back for another year. We say it on here all the time. NIL money, I'm sure it's good in Los Angeles. I'm sure those deals are coming in nice, but the NFL money Caleb Williams is about to get when he goes to the NFL next season, that's going to be too tough to turn down. He will be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Done. Mic drop. So for Caleb Williams in USC, you got this window. Got this 12-game window here, and the most sickening thing for USC fans would be to sit back after the season's over and say, man, what could we have done with Caleb Williams on our roster? How, how good could we have been if we had had a defense? Now, credit Lincoln Riley and company. They've gone to the transfer portal. They've retooled the defensive line. They've helped the secondary. Like they, They've done a lot now to try and revamp that defensive side of the ball. They can't miss tackles which is sort of just a simplistic statement to say, but they can't miss tackles. They missed 150 plus last year. One of the worst in the country. Got to be able to tackle, which is probably a whole separate conversation. But I'm telling you, the personnel is better. The personnel is better defensively. And you got this window with Caleb Williams there to where I don't think you want to have this hmm, woulda, shoulda, coulda feeling afterwards. So the, the fan base is saying the time is now. We love Lincoln Riley. We love the future at USC, but the time is now. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in here with us. Don't want you to miss anything. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at Judy Paquel. Thank you so much for that. Okay, now the pulse internally at USC is supreme confidence. Because USC, they've heard a lot of talk in the offseason about what they didn't do against Tulane, how they lost to Utah twice, and the Pac-12 title game was an embarrassment. And there's a beautiful thing about what's going on at USC. They're not worried about any of that. They hear all that yapping. They're not worried about any of that. They're not worried about the Twitter fingers. They feel really good about what they have. They feel a lot like, hey, if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt in that Pac-12 title game, we probably find ourselves in the college football playoff. If we get to the college football playoff and maybe we get some more guys healthy, like who knows what we are. They, they don't have any questions about what they have on that roster right now, especially not at quarterback. They don't think last year was a, oh man, we just got beat internally they're like hey man we beat ourselves 
we weren't ready for those moments. And when you look at how many tackles they missed, I see the merit there. Again, they still had to get better defensively, and I think that's what they did through the transfer portal. But there's no lacking confidence. There's no half-stepping in Los Angeles right now because of what they have coming back and because of who they have at quarterback and because of who their head coach is. I think teams take on the persona of their head coach. We say it on here a lot. And for Lincoln Riley and company, he just exudes confidence. I think the California coast kind of suits him. He's chill. He's not going to get too flustered. Going to go about his business. He's a competitor. Don't get it twisted. But they're not overly reactional here. They understand now that this is the year. I think the fan base and the internal feel have some overlap there. That The time is now. They have a window. They're not building for the future. The time is now at USC. But the confidence level internally is supreme. So when it comes to USC for 2023, I don't think there's any guessing about what they want to accomplish. Pac-12 title, college football playoff appearance, national title. Those are the goals. Caleb Williams even said it in his Heisman Trophy speech. And to be, to be honest with you, I loved it. I love that he made a statement and just said, yeah, I won the Heisman Trophy. But Max Duggan, CJ Stroud, Stetson Bennett, y'all that are watching right now, y'all get to go to the college football playoff. <laughs> like that's where his mind is at. And that's where their sights are set right now with USC. Fan base, program internally, Lincoln Riley, that's the goal. So for USC, the expectations now are extremely high and they've earned that. Pressure is privilege. And I can't wait to see what they do with it. But that is the pulse of the program for the USC Trojans. Again, thank you for everyone tuning in live right now. Thumbs up button under the video. If you could like the video for us, that would be tremendous. That would catapult us into Thursday. Put us over 100 likes. Right now, I believe, we have 10 shows in a row. Double-digit shows. we got a streak going now of 100 likes before we get off the air. Once we get off the air now, the streak is in jeopardy. So if you could like the video, a little thumbs up button, get us over 100, be phenomenal. And I have... The utmost confidence, what we got going on right now within the program itself and the people tuned in. So thank you in advance for that. Thank you in advance for already getting it done is what I'm trying to tell you. Y'all already starting to crush it. So thank you. Let's like it up. Let's get to over 100. Thank you very much. Now, beautiful part about this show, you can't label yourself the people show and not involve the people in the show. So that's exactly what we're going to do right now. We're going to hear from y'all's questions, concerns, thoughts, takes, from the live chat and the man to break it all down, the keeper of the queue himself from Owensboro, Kentucky, Nick, heavy lifter break. Nick, you're looking good, man. What's going on? What's up, JD, man? Uh, we got a lot of questions. First one coming from King Leo VT. How do you feel about Pry at Virginia Tech doing recruiting wise? Excuse me. How do you feel Pry is doing at Virginia Tech recruiting wise? Do you think they can become a contender in the ACC and get back to the top 15 again? You know, I think the brand at Virginia Tech is really strong. Like, I think that it maybe isn't as prevalent in the minds of some kids at the high school level right now as it was, you know, during our generation, Nick. Because I think back and I'm thinking about Michael Vick. I'm thinking about D'Angelo Hall. I'm thinking about, I believe, Kevin Jones. Excuse me, not Kevin Jones. Ryan Williams. Like, there was a lot of really good players that came through Virginia Tech and put Virginia Tech on a national stage. Tyrod Taylor. Like, Virginia Tech has a really strong history, especially when Frank Beamer was there. So when it comes to recruiting talk right now for a team like Virginia Tech, I think it's just a little bit too early. You got Belfort in that class, who's a guy that people are excited about and probably should be in Blacksburg, Virginia. I would just say keep an eye on the trend 
keep an eye on how they trend closer to signing day. Watch them in the fall, especially if Virginia Tech does some good things on the field, start to surge a little bit on the recruiting trail. That would be the world you would want to live in. So give it some time. I do think Virginia Tech will be a team that has the resources and the brand to where I don't think they stay down long-term in the ACC. So too early to tell. Keep an eye as we get into the fall. Great question, though, Nick. Um, next question, JD. Um, this, one's, this one's coming from Joshua Jackson. Who wins in a head-to-head, the Michigan Wolverines or Georgia? Wow. Okay, so this is, this is a good question. We talked about this just a little bit in a one-off video yesterday on the channel because Reese Davis of ESPN came out and said he has Michigan as his number one preseason team. And I don't think that his logic in that is wrong because J.J. McCarthy is back. You have top five returning production in the country with Michigan. And, you know, the culture is solid. We talk about Jim Harbaugh as a top five coach in college football for me today. But when I look at Michigan, I don't have any issue with thinking that they're one of the best teams in the country. Or if you think they're the best team in the country, that makes sense. But when I look at Georgia, they have proven to me too many times in a row who they are. Kirby Smart has proven their identity too many times in a row with different variables, different guys on defense, different coordinators. This will be the first time he does it with a different quarterback, to be fair. But for me, Nick, I just I know better than to doubt Kirby Smart. So on a neutral site tomorrow, I'd probably lean Georgia. But I very much so hope we get this matchup at some point in time in the college football calendar year. Probably keep an eye on that one in the playoff. Okay. Uh, Matthew Johnson, uh, what does Oregon need to do to win a national championship in the next five to ten years? Hmm. So the good news for you is, is it's Matt. Is that who we got, Nick? Matthew, yes. Matthew. Good news for you, Matthew. Uh, the college football playoff is expanding. And so no longer do you need to go undefeated or have one loss and try to find your way into that 14 playoff with 12 teams. And I've said this many a time. I think Dan Lanning has this team on a crash course to be a routine customer in the 12-team college football playoff. Now, what I would say is, and this is something that you're doing internally, the trenches has always been the differentiating factor for the the Pac-12 versus, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC. And we talked about it in our offenses segment uh, earlier in the show. But I think you have to really upgrade and really continue to upgrade and make an effort to have the personnel to be competitive against the, the Georgias and the Michigans. Because we saw early... I guess early. We saw the first game of last year, the litmus test, the measuring stick of where Georgia was at and where Oregon was at. Now, Oregon, I think, took strides since that game. I think there were a different team that finished the year, and Bo Nick said as much. The different team finished the year in the Holiday Bowl than that showed up in Atlanta and played Georgia. But the personnel, to me, on the defensive line is going to be something that I need to see them continue to improve to win a national title. Also, we'll see who steps in at quarterback after Bo Nix, but it's a whole other conversation. Got to have the quarterback. That's obvious. The trenches is where I look if I'm an Oregon fan to win a national title. Okay, that's another good question. Turner Fleming, with Clemson having two so-called down years, how do you think Dabo and Garrett Riley get this program back to the playoffs? Mm. Shout out Turner for using your, uh, your diction there. Turner, how about that? Tremendous verbiage there by him, program guy through and through. Before we answer that, 15 more likes will be over 100. I have complete confidence we will do that. Thumbs up icon under the video if you could do that for us. Again, we got the streak going. 10 in a row. We're going for 11. If we get 100 likes before we get off air, that'd be tremendous. Thank you in advance for that because I know y'all will get it done. Now, when it comes to Garrett Riley, 
I think this was a home run hire by Dabo Sweeney because what he did at TCU and how he, I guess, revitalized Max Duggan and got him to be a Heisman finalist, I think it's exactly what you needed to have at Clemson. And there's so much talk about what Clemson maybe has a question mark around in that skill position room because they've got the big, tall, wide receivers. They've got the guys that can go and jump balls. But you got to have some explosivity to go with that, right? got to have a little bit of juice, a little bit of pop to be able to win the games you want to win and be dynamic offensively. A lot of what Garrett Riley does is manufacturing explosives. And what I mean by that is you're going to set the defense up to where we're going to run the football. We're going to have a lot of motion. We're going to be going right to left. And when you have so much going on within that front seven, having to commit numbers to the box, it plays with the eyes of the defense. And it at times can influence those safeties that's what he's trying to do the back end of the defense he's trying to get those safeties to start to cheat start to commit and when they're out of position when he does get them out of position that's when you're able to get by them and have the explosive play and i say all that because if you don't have a guy that runs a 4 40 in your receiver room that's okay you don't need that what you need is someone that is fast enough understands his assignment, gets open, can finish with the catch. And I believe that's probably a lot of what Clemson has in their receiver room right now. I'm not even saying they don't have the 4-2 guy. They may have it. Outside of Antonio Williams, I have, again, question marks about the speed. So to answer your question, Garrett Riley and Dabo Sweeney, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work really well. And I applaud Dabo Sweeney for making that kind of hire to be his OC. JD, this next question comes from The Truth. The Truth asks, who wins in a matchup between 2021 and 2022 Georgia? Wow. The Truth bringing the heat. (laughs) The Truth bringing the heat today, man. Uh, Who would win? It's tough because in 2021, this is how I think about it. 2021, you have one of the best defenses of all time, right? In what Georgia was that year. You also, in 2022, have a Stetson Bennett that just took his game to new heights, which is the reason why in my opinion they won a national title so i'm actually going to lean here nick i'm going to lean towards 2022 georgia i think the defense is really good still on that team and i think stetson bennett and what he brings to the table is ultimately too much for 2021 georgia but that's uh the beautiful part about this time of year isn't it nick beautiful part about this time of the year is that we get to talk about 2021 versus 2022 georgia Yeah. And we're less than 50 days away from college football season. What do you, th- what do you think? One or two more, Nick? We'll go one more. Look, there are one a lot more. of good questions. If we're not going to ask, since they're like, they're listed more than, more than usual today, if we didn't ask your question, come back on Thursday or tweet at JD Piquel, um, and he'll ask, he'll get to you that way. But um, with that being said, Craig, who is a usual, by the way, says Bird Dog Shorts gave JD a 99 overall juke and elusiveness, which <laughs> goes into his it's question. True. Who is this year's video game cheat mode type of player in college football? That's not a Caleb Williams of the world. I'm curious, who would you build a dynasty or around in a dynasty mode if the game was coming out this year? Mm. Okay, so I have a couple answers to that. The cheat code that I think we ought to talk about is Barry and Brown. Wide receiver from Kentucky. He plays at Kentucky. He's not at Bama or Georgia or Tennessee or Florida or Florida State. Like he's at a school that is Kentucky. That is now, in my opinion, now a football school, to be clear. Kentucky football school, another conversation for another time. He is a lightning fast, won the 100 and 200 meter in the state of Tennessee when he was in high school, 
pop last year as a freshman. He's a hold-your-breath kind of player. Whenever he touches the ball, you better hold your breath. He might do something big. Barry and Brown, to me, a guy that you got to make sure you watch as a cheat code for this coming year. Now, the question was asked, who would I build a dynasty around? Man, I think if I'm looking at just across the landscape, if I'm building a dynasty, I'm probably going to go with a freshman. And if I'm going with a freshman, Nick, I'm going with our number one player in the country in the 2023 cycle. That's true freshman quarterback from Tennessee, Nico Yamaliava. I mean, the dude can absolutely spin it. He's got a great frame. He's going to fill out more in a college weight room. I'm betting on his upside. I'm betting on what Charles Power says because men lie, women lie, Charles Power don't lie. Nico Yamaliava, Yamaliava. We're going to hammer that pronunciation here pretty soon. <laughs> uh, he's who I'm going with, Nick, to build a dynasty around. I got him for four years. Good athlete. Volleyball background, dude's got some bounce. Like, I love what he's going to be. I'm building my dynasty around him, Nick. Okay, man. Well done. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Well, folks, we're five likes away. Let's get to 100 before we get off air. Let's get to 100. thumbs up button under the video. Get us to over 100. We're, we're in jeopardy now. We're about to go off air. Need y'all to come in here. But we, in all seriousness, we, we appreciate y'all tuning in. We appreciate y'all joining us. We are back on the air on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Get at me on Twitter. I think we're going to do, Nick, for that segment, I think we're going to go top five quarterbacks in the game today. But the twist here is we're going to project the top five quarterbacks at the end of 2023. So I'm not talking about walking into the season. I'm talking about when we're sitting here in November and we're breaking down who's in the Heisman race and who's had a great year and all that. The top five quarterbacks at the end of 2023, we are going to project them. Well, just like that, man, y'all are incredible. We're sitting there. It's like fourth and one run the, the five yard line going in 95 likes and we just dial it up we say hey call the program tell them what's going on y'all go in in elite fashion get us well over 100 so thank you in advance for that thank you for tuning in if you're a podcast person you watch later totally fine apple spotify you can find the hard count there type in the hard count with jody Pickel. again we're back on air on thursday 11 a.m eastern make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it we're gonna keep this party rolling we will see y'all next time.